Hey Franklin. Hi. Hello Ray. Hi. How are you doing? Hey, thanks for retweeting the space. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. Doing great. Yeah, good to hear. Yeah, we really appreciate everyone, you know, coming and liking the space and also retweeting it. It does help uh, a lot. Um, it it really does. It's it's it was the topic that caught my attention. I saw a provision prone of that. Okay, cool. This should be interesting. So do you think? Oh yeah. Provision pro. Well, I don't have one yet. No. Um. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think is just is going to come out first of February. I think first in the in the US first of all. Yeah. First ten times I ate. Uh, what have you? What do you like about it so far? Uh, are you going to um, get one? Um. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's actually very sleek, and the fact that you don't have to be um, disconnected with the outside world, right? Other people can actually see your eyes. As you are not completely disconnected, you can you can see other people in your space. Right. So I think, yeah, you know, because one of the issues that, that people have been talking about about the VR classes is that it just disconnects you from the outside world. You are just in your own space, and you can just get lost in for hours. I think approvision process of this to some extent, you know. A lot of people can see your eyes, even while wearing the goggles. And you can see a lot of people too. So okay. I guess the Flutter community isn't all that interested in Vision Pro. Because I've noticed that there's <laughs> only five of us in the uh, in the space right now. So, either that or maybe uh, maybe X is suppressing it. Oh yeah, X is they might be. I mean, they've been doing uh, quite a few. Uh, Elon, you know, he went to uh, Auschwitz, um, and uh, they they changed a lot of the algorithm, is what people have been saying. Uh, there's also that Mr. Beast uh, whole uh, debacle where. Uh, they promoted Mr. Beast's video and gave him $250,000. And then coincidentally, uh, other ex-creators uh, didn't get paid for the last three weeks or had their pay cut by 75%. <laughs> I don't know. There might be something going on. Interesting. Well, I guess it's just going to be a handful of us talking about Vision Pro today, then. So I think as was alluded to, Apple is now taking pre-orders for Vision Pro, but it looks like the actual, you know, getting a physical Vision Pro isn't going to happen until February. So it's January right now. It's late January. 
uh, February 2nd was the initial stated delivery date of the Vision Pros. I heard that their initial manufacturing run was something like 80,000 devices. And then I, and I've also heard that something like 180,000 pre-orders have come in. So it looks like they're going to have a backlog of orders for quite a while. I also heard that either Vision Pro isn't, it's only available in the US. I think it's only available in English, like the internal systems are only in English, if I remember correctly. So for some reason, they've really restricted the geographic and cultural reach of it. And I'll say that I think my hypothesis here for Vision Pro is that really the whole thing is an experiment and that what Apple is likely to do is to watch developers like us build things on the Vision Pro for a year or two, figure out which sensors are actually used, which capabilities are actually used, and then create a stripped down, cheaper consumer model with you know, fewer sensors, perhaps cheaper uh, chips, maybe less memory, wherever they can, wherever they figure out that they can remove capability. I think they'll do that and then they'll sell that headset for like $1,000 or $1,500 so that the average person might be able to get one. What do you guys think? Does that make sense? That's the smartest take I've heard so far. Um, I've thought a little bit about the pricing. It's thirty-five over thirty-five hundred dollars, and that pricing is just like quite insane. So, uh, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense, Matt. I uh, you know, I tried to pre-order one, but the Apple website said, "Hey, you have to use Face ID to measure your face." And I actually, even though I have a Mac mini and a couple of MacBook pros and a couple iPhones and an iPad, none of these are face ID devices. So I actually couldn't pre-order the vision pro cause I don't have face ID. I even went down to the Apple store and I said, Hey, can you guys measure my face here? And they said, Nope, we can't do anything for you. You have to get a device that has face ID. I'm like, see, you're, I have to buy a thousand dollar phone to order a $3,500 headset. Are you serious? Uh, yeah, it's nothing we can do. That's what you got to do. So I think actually what I'm going to try is to go over to a friend's place sometime soon who has a device with face ID, measure it on there and see if I can order through his phone. Apple strategy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there's no way I'm buying a phone to order a headset. No way. So if I can't actually make it work on my friend's phone, then maybe I just won't be ordering one. Uh, that's a lot like what they did with, uh, I think it was the iPhone 12, uh, or maybe it was even earlier, where they made it so that uh, if you, since like the demand for the iPhone, I think it might have been even earlier because the demand for the 10 was incredible. The demand for the 12 was also pretty incredible. Uh, they made it where you uh, could get your pre-order in um, if you already had an iPhone and you had, you know, Apple Pay set up and connected. So that way, the moment uh, the pre-orders opened, your payment would already be connected. Um, and that would save you maybe, you know, two or three minutes. And that was all the time 
you had in order to get your iPhone in the first shipment. Uh, so maybe some, <laughs> something similar to that. Uh, they do like to reward uh, brand loyalty, perhaps. So uh, it's your fault, Matt, for not getting the latest and greatest iPhone. You know, you always got to do that. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like I said, it's, I do have two MacBook Pros, a Mac Mini, two iPhones, and an iPad. I mean, it's not as if I own no Apple devices. I just apparently, I don't own their CIA face facial recognition spying version of the device. But also, I have, like, I have tiny hands. I don't want one of these tablet-sized phones, but that seems to be all they really, like, I got the SE, which is not a super old phone. But the whole point is a smaller phone, uh, but it, because it's smaller, it doesn't have Face ID. So I don't know. Do, do they make it? Are any of their new modern Face ID phones as small as the SE? Can I get one that fits my tiny hand? Uh, no. And the SE is, uh, it reached end of life already, hasn't it? I don't think so. I mean, it's only, Oh, last I heard. It's only a few years uh, old. Yeah, there was something about uh, the SC reaching the end of life. So uh, that's, you know, Apple, they're prodding you in their direction. Uh, <laughs> uh, get bigger hands. Uh, that, that's, that's what they would say. Just got to get bigger hands. That's been my goal through my entire life is to just be taller and it never seems to work. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we we could uh, I could definitely use you know a couple more inches. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll clip that out just that one line and uh, and post it to your profile. <laughs> uh, uh, um yeah okay <laughs> same for you Matt. <laughs> so for those who are joining us, we're just we're sitting here chatting about Vision Pro. It looks like Vision Pro uh, is not a popular topic among Flutter developers based on the number of people in here. But Marco's here. Marco, happy to see that you're joining us as usual. Uh, and also Junior Malcolm is in here as well. Welcome. As always, anybody's welcome up on stage to talk about anything Flutter or Dart related, especially if you have any thoughts on the Vision Pro. Uh, Maybe it's so we talked a little bit about the pre-order process for the, the Vision Pro and the fact that they're not physically available yet. And they also might be for U.S. only for the time being in terms of what is actually I mean, let's let's maybe dig into the development a little bit because we are here to kind of focus on Flutter. It looks like in the in the development world for the Vision Pro, there's kind of three ways you can develop. One is virtual reality. That's completely blocking out everything around you. Then there's augmented reality, which uh, is you doing kind of 3D stuff in the real world based on spatial computing. And then there's you can, you can see the space around you, but you can show traditional two-dimensional apps on little rectangles all around your vision or all around the space. I don't know if Flutter will ever have a, a purpose or a story about developing in the 3D space, like actually like dropping 3D objects in the space around you. But obviously, at a minimum, we're going to want Flutter to be displayed like those two-dimensional 
apps, the two-dimensional rectangles in the space. And I do believe some people have already gotten Flutter apps to compile and to be used, at least in the simulator, for Vision OS in that way. But again, I think at a minimum, we do want Flutter to go there, right? We do want to make sure that people using Vision Pro with 2D apps can use Flutter the same way they can use a Swift UI-based solution. Hey, I see we got uh, Marco on stage. Uh, Marco, if you want to jump in, uh, feel free to do so at any time. Um, and you too, Franklin. Hello, guys. How you doing? Doing well, Marco. How about you? Good, good. Uh, I personally like Vision Pro, but I'm I'm a big uh, 3D guy, and um, I'm sorry. And uh, I was hoping that it would make it big, but obviously it's going to take time. It's also too expensive, you know. Yeah, I we were talking a little bit about that before you came in, and I floated a theory to the group, which is that I think that what Apple is doing here is they don't really know what people are going to want to build and want to use in spatial computing. And so they've kind of shoved the highest quality and, and highest number of sensors and high-resolution high displays. they got a lot of cameras on this thing. They've got decent processing power. So they've kind of dumped the kitchen sink into this Vision Pro. And I think what they're going to do is observe what all of us build with Vision Pro over the next year, maybe two years. They're going to look at what gets traction and what doesn't. And then they're going to remove every aspect of the headset that isn't required for the popular use cases. And they're going to sell that greatly reduced headset for maybe $1,000 or $1,500, which falls well within the price range of, let's say, a high-end iPad or a high-end iPhone. Yeah, I think you, you're absolutely right on that. Uh, I mean, I can see many, many applications for it. And hopefully, there'll be something we can do with Flutter. I'm not sure. Um, but imagine applications where you can make programs that, as you're looking at items, let's say maybe you're under your sink or you want to fix something. With this, you put your Vision Pro on, and you can get instructions on how to do this, step one, step two, step three. Be able to teach in your own environment how to do something. And then, of course, entertainment is going to be huge. I'm sure that's where it's going to go. But, you know, I'm always looking for production apps, those kind of things. And I think there's room for that. Yeah, I think training and learning is huge. There, there are probably a lot, a lot of programmers in our industry, especially related to Flutter, are pretty new to it. They probably came into programming in the last five to seven years. But for those who were in the middle of all this stuff back around 2013, that's when the previous hype cycle happened around uh, virtual reality and augmented reality. That's when we had the, the Google Glass, and there were a bunch of little companies that were creating little headsets. In fact, I just recently threw out three different headsets that I had from a number of years ago. I think all three of them, sorry, two of them were based on actually mounting your phone above your head and using kind of like a mirror, either, well, either looking directly into your phone in the headset 
or using a mirror so that the content on your phone was mirrored into your eyes, but you could still see the world around you. So there, you know, there were a lot of attempts at VR and AR about 10 years ago, and pretty much all of them failed. The you know, Google Glass was retired. All those little companies were either bought up or went out of business. And where we find ourselves now is that Facebook doubled and tripled down on VR because they're in, they want to capture that gaming space and they want to do the metaverse and all that kind of stuff. So they have, uh, I guess, Oculus, which is, it puts out the Quest, I think is the name of the headset. And then Microsoft put out the HoloLens, which I, I, you could kind of consider as an early version of what the Vision Pro is now. Vision Pro is kind of like the highest end take on, uh, on what was kind of a Microsoft prototype. So now we're doing, we get, we're in the second hype cycle here, but I bring up the first one because even in the first one, one of the big selling points, if you look back at the marketing material is they, there were videos kind of like hype videos where you would see mechanics working around an engine and the AR was identifying parts and showing you how to install and uninstall pieces of the engine. And like you said, Mark, you could do the same thing if you're just trying to, to fix some of the plumbing under your sink or something like that as well. It, I don't, none of that has really been delivered in the general consumer way yet. It seems like a really hard problem to solve, but I, I think it's gotta go there. And when it does, I think AR will be here to stay. Yeah, I think so too. And it'll probably be implemented by companies first, you know, industrial places. Yep. Um, for sure. I mean, you could see this even in schools. And I think it has potential. It's going to go there. I mean, I'm a huge 3D lover. So anything 3D gets my attention. Anything realistic, especially in your own environment, um, I love it. Whether you can make a living at it as a small developer, that's a different story. Right. Yeah. I, hey, I want to jump in. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Matt. Uh, I didn't know. I, I didn't know you weren't finished. I was just going to kind of agree with what Marco said and say, I, I've been interested in 3D for a long time. I just ha haven't been good at it. You know, I've tried learning 3D modeling a few times and kind of given up. But I, I guess here again, it might be time to go back to the world of 3D. And maybe, maybe there's so many assets out there now that I can mostly just use what other people have created and just assemble it into a scene. Uh, but we, you know, we'll see. We'll see where that goes. So go ahead, Ray, with whatever you're going to say. Yeah, I was going to jump in and uh, I guess uh, bring it to a bit more of a concrete for someone who... Uh, for me, you know, I, I don't, I'm not in this space. Uh, I don't really understand it all that much. Uh, but what I've been seeing is, uh, and like, I, I'm actually super happy about everything I'm seeing about the Apple Vision Pro, because the hype around this product has actually replaced uh, a lot of the hype around ChatGPT. So it's been a really, really refreshing break you know, from seeing nonstop content about AI, about chat GPT, to seeing something a bit more, you know, visual and tangible and something that, you know, uh, stokes the flames of, you know, design. Um, and actually, you know, it, it feels like it feels like you can touch the stuff that you're seeing. So I've been seeing a lot of uh, demo videos uh, of apps that 
like people imagine they can build in the Apple Vision Pro. Um, I don't know how they're making these videos uh, because they aren't like they, these things aren't actually running in the Apple Vision Pro yet. Um, like I saw a Formula One a 3D track rendered on a table. Um, and you can already do that now with the 3D technology. You don't need the Vision Pro. So I think someone just took that, uh, recorded a video, and then labeled it, you know, as Apple Vision Pro so they can, you know, trend in the algorithm. Uh, so what's interesting and what's great about this hype is that uh, this hype, it looks real. Um, there, there, you do get a lot of traction. I, I see a lot of posts, you know, showing virtual desktops, virtual keyboard, uh, in the Vision Pro interface, like their prototypes. Uh, their tweets are getting hundreds of thousands of views, if not millions. Uh, so there's a lot of interest and seemingly demand here. And I love that you brought up. Uh, the previous hype cycle, Matt, uh, I, it never really occurred to me that we did have a previous hype cycle. And in that hype cycle, there actually was a super successful company called Snapchat, right? So Snapchat did AR, those uh, face, you know, mask thingies. Uh, and they're now a super successful company. Um, I think that does give us, you know, a lot of inspiration um, and from what we've seen, like in terms of business and indie hackers um, and us, you know, small developers uh, who rode, you know, the chat GPT wave, uh, it, this could be potentially, you know, the, the next wave um, that you can jump on. So there is definitely like hope and uh, some, you know, positivity here. Um, and then there is the Snapchat example, uh, which I think is also very valuable because it does give us an insight into the technological capabilities and limitations. So Snapchat, what they had to do is they uh, spent like billions of dollars on engineering, uh, just on engineering, in order to get those AR uh, filters and be able to run it on uh, mobile phones. And you remember back in uh, like 2015, uh, back then, like quite a few years ago, uh, phones weren't that powerful. Um, and Snapchat, it didn't really run well on Android phones at all. Uh, so it was mostly a, you know, Apple phenomenon. Um, and they didn't, and they took years and like tons and tons of money and engineering resources to get the, uh, to get Snapchat even running on Android. Um, and that was something that they did in, I think, uh, 2020 or 2021. Uh, they launched their new Android app. <laughs> uh, so that provides a bit of, I guess, the technical limitations. And here, with AR, with the Vision Pro, uh, I don't know if uh, Apple, if they're going to commit the amount of money needed, um, if they view it as you know a cost center, uh, because it's very expensive. Like Microsoft, they gave up essentially on the HoloLens because it was, you know, costing them too much, I guess. Uh, but it is a hard problem uh, displaying things in AR and, you know, doing eye tracking and all of that. Uh, like you have the Magic Leap, right? So that that company, $4 billion, uh, it's zero. It's zero now. <laughs> they disappeared. Uh, so that's all I have to say there. 
a good point about Magic Leap. I forgot about them. Yeah, what a what a complete disaster that must have been. Uh, although, actually, I, I don't. I assume someone bought them. I can't remember. But maybe if if Apple bought them, maybe Apple's using some of their stuff. I don't know. I see Noeed. You came on stage. Would you like to jump into the conversation? Yes. Hi, Matt. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, thank you very much for having me. So I just wanted to provide uh, some perspective from my side. Basically, I have been following, uh, you know, at least the first hype cycle that you mentioned, especially starting with Microsoft HoloLens. So I have been following this space and I have my own uh, views about this. But before I dive into this, I totally, uh, you know, agree with what Ray mentioned. Uh, the way Apple is proceeding further, uh, the way they have approached this device, they have given a hope to this, this new paradigm of, uh, you know, computing and display and so on. So definitely, I believe uh, right now it is not the time, at least for the regular consumers. Uh, the market is not ready yet for this. Maybe another five to 10 years. Uh, I do hope technology will evolve. Price is definitely one of the biggest factor. Second is the, the bulkiness that you get around this. Uh, this is not something that you can you know get popular with the with the regular consumers with the end users like you and me so where i see its use case is predominantly in the industries as you said uh, i think matt you mentioned that and also what microsoft had been showing off with hololens especially in let's say the car manufacturing or fixing a bicycle or building a, a, a dome or a construction you know things so this is where this is definitely useful some other areas where it can also be useful is maybe around the, let's say, the virtual tours or real estate, et cetera. But that again, in the corporate uh, uh, sector only. So maybe if I want to go and view a property, so rather than going and viewing the property over there, I can go to the office of the property agent and I can, you know, just put on one of these devices and then using, uh, you know, AR, VR, I can move around the property. I can see how it looks like. So, so this is definitely a good, good uh, use case. One thing that at least with Apple Vision Pro, what they have been promoting, uh, I don't know if you saw the, the uh, uh, I think it was in WWDC uh, or yeah, when, when they uh, showed the demo. So one of the things they are, you know, uh, fantasizing about and a lot of people are, are talking about this is, hey this gives you now you know 150 inches of screen basically your whole living room is your screen you can watch movies on it so what people really do forget about this these kind of experiences these are not solo experiences see today i can very well go and buy a thousand thousand five hundred dollars high-end tv or a projector tv and and i can enjoy watching a movie or a tv serial with my family whereas if i put in this device uh, uh, I, I lose that, you know, the sense of together, the togetherness with my family, with my friends. I cannot enjoy it together. So I, I might be watching, I don't know, Avatar on, um, you know, using my Vision Pro. Uh, my, my son might be watching, I don't know, uh, something else. My daughter would be watching something else. This is not the experience that you would, uh, at least I would not value as a family. So I would say it is still a long way to go. But the way Apple has approached, uh, it's, it's amazing. It's phenomenal. And this is exactly what I said about Apple. I may be wrong, but I have this belief 
that Apple never invents anything new. Apple, they are not innovators. Uh, Apple takes what have been there in the market for quite some time. Usually, you know, the, the hype cycle one, the hype cycle two, what other companies like Microsoft, the Samsung's, uh, you know, the Xeroxes, the, everyone else in the world, they have tried and they have failed. And now when it is time, Apple picks up the things, they perfect the ecosystem and then they launch it. So, so I'm very, very excited about the way they have approached uh, Apple Vision. So, so let's hope that maybe in you know five years' time, it can become a mainstream reality. Uh, these are just my thoughts. Not sure if if others would agree to this or not. I think all of that makes sense to me. Uh, I will say that you know, hopefully over time, uh, Apple will figure out how to replicate us in in the space pretty accurately, in which case, you know, you would be able to at least virtually watch a movie or something like that with friends from around the world, people that you otherwise, you know, wouldn't be able to see in person anyway. Like I got, you know, I, have a, I live on the, the West Coast of the US now, I used to live on the East Coast. So I got a friend over there, I used to go see movies with him on a regular basis. And I haven't been able to do that for most of the last 10 years, because we're on different sides of the country. I could see a world where we both put on one of these headsets and we're able to sit down in a virtual theater together. And it's not, you know, not perfect. We're looking at kind of silly versions of each other, but we can hear each other. You know, we can, we can talk about the movie we're watching. We can laugh at it together. We get some of that social dynamic back, even though we're 3000 miles apart. I, so I hope and expect that that will be something that we see in the world of augmented reality and virtual reality moving forward. Yeah, no, I, I agree, Matt. So these are the kind of things that will definitely happen. But at least from my perspective, uh, so the example that you gave, I know it does bridge this this distance gap to some extent. But see, predominantly when you go to watch movies with your friends or your family, uh, you are not just talking about watching a movie together. You are basically talking about or you are you're looking for that closeness, sitting next to each other enjoying the company of each other, whereas sitting 3,000 miles apart, uh, you know, virtually watching a movie together, that may not provide still the same experience. But yes, having said that, I do believe this is a good, good start. Uh, and, and at least now with Apple Vision Pro, what they have done, they have given a device which is really, uh, I, I would say, more realistic in terms of quality and in terms of capabilities. I had been following HoloLens and HoloLens uh, 2. I would say it was a very, very... A mediocre uh, attempt at you know providing something this is what apple has done they have thrown in a lot of hardware lot of you know uh, soc chips in it lot of cameras lot of sensors so they have tried to make it uh, a bit more useful so let us see what developers how how they make use of this what kind of applications and ideas they come up with because you know with with every new technology there there are bound to be, you know, some failures in the beginning. And that is normal. That is fine. I have nothing against that. So there might be, you know, 100 developers, they will develop, say, one application each. Maybe out of those 100, only one or two will succeed. And maybe those one or two might not be the, the original idea that we think today or what Apple is putting forward or what, you know, Mark Zuckerberg is saying about Metaverse. It might be something totally different, which is fine. So this is an evolution. Uh, so it's a, it's a good step. I'm very happy to see that at least we are moving in that direction. 
yeah, for sure. I agree. Uh, we're going to, we don't know where this is going to end up. We only know about where it's beginning, which is why, I mean, some of the criticism around this device has been, uh, oh, it's so expensive. Oh, it's so heavy, uh, this and that. Well, you know, if this were the end of, if this was the final device and there was never going to be anything different, then I would agree with a lot of that. But I think we got to remember that this thing is essentially the first iPhone. It's the first iPad. All sorts of things are going to be discovered and they're going to change over time. In just a moment, I'm going to give the floor to Bomic, but I want to say hi to some of our regular audience members. So I see Damien, Chatai, and Itunch. Welcome. Glad to see you here today. As always, anybody's welcome on stage. Just hit the microphone button and we'll bring you up. And with that, Bomic, did you want to jump into the conversation? Yeah, so I would like to add that uh, whenever we think about uh, Metaverse or whenever we think about, you know, like Vision Pro, we always think that we are building a replacement product. But uh, I would like to add, we are building a additional product. So basically, we are not going to end that experience of, uh, you know, going out with your family or going out on a date. We are giving an inclusive, you know, like uh, feature in it. So basically, when uh, uh, like uh, when the phone was invented, people didn't stop meeting in person and having a conversation. But they still have this ability, you know, to converse with each other that uh, the technology is going to bring up. And uh, like uh, I see uh, uh, the application of this in uh, in the domain of e-commerce also, because like uh, 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 not specifically to real estate, because uh, when I think I buy a property or I rent a property, uh, the real estate itself matters, but the surrounding and where it is located and all those things. So I would like to be physically available at a place, you know, before making a decision that I'd like to live there or buy that particular place. But uh, for other industries, like suppose uh, today, if I'm watching a video and I see a guy, you know, like uh, wearing a T-shirt and I like that T-shirt, I would like to, you know, own that T-shirt and order that instantly uh, from that experience. So that will be a more organic buying rather than, you know, listing things somewhere and, you know, like... Uh, and uh, going to that site and buying it so so that friction uh, between the real world and you know the virtual world can get reduced uh, by the technology and uh, by this by by metaverse and whatever you know like is coming up so we might not be able to emulate the real experience but uh, what efforts like these guys are putting is to you know like get closest to the experience that you get in the real world I agree with you that we're definitely not going to be replacing the real world. As we can see, phones did not eliminate desktop computers and tablets didn't eliminate them either, nor did tablets eliminate phones. These are all different modalities, different combinations of screens and input systems that are ideal for different use cases. Now, I mean, it is true that phones took over a lot of stuff that was previously done by desktop computers, but that's because those were situations where desktop computers weren't ideal, but that was the only thing we had. So when the phone came along, it shifted. And I think we'll see something similar with augmented reality. Uh, and I think, Balmik, I think your description about visiting a property it is partially true, but I think it also misses some realities as well. So it's true that if you're going to buy a property, you know, for example, I have a house here in California. It, it would have been crazy for me to buy this house without walking through it, without seeing it personally, 
because it was a you know a 15 minute drive for me to get here and really anybody that's buying a primary residence should probably do that but it's also the case there are actually a lot of properties here in the bay area that are bought by foreign investors sight unseen now whatever you might think about that practice there are certainly people who complain about it because what happens is uh, non-us citizens buy up a lot of us real estate which raises the prices for all us citizens living in the area so it's actually a bit of an issue here in california but you know if you are one of those people who's in a different country and you're buying an investment property if your choices are buy it sight unseen or buy it after viewing it in augmented reality or virtual reality you're probably you probably would choose to view it in virtual reality or augmented reality so there are still use cases where that might make sense um and so there again it's like we're, you know there there's the in the current world we're going to break up these use cases into things that do make sense in this new virtual and augmented reality world and things that obviously you still want to go do in person even going back to the movie example you know if if i'm going to watch a movie with my girlfriend we're going to go do that in person because that's easily done she's nearby we can go see a movie but my friend on the east coast i'm not flying 3000 miles so i can go watch a movie with him the choices are either don't watch a movie with him or watch it in virtual reality Th those are the places where this headset is going to come into view and i'll also bring us back to some of the enterprise discussion which marco brought up i think earlier or alluded to it it's one thing for the person buying a house to not uh to not necessarily or for that person to go or not go to the house but consider things like housing inspections so when a house is sold it needs to be inspected to make sure that it's up to code in various areas and that common violations don't exist. One could imagine that at least most of that inspection could be done through virtual reality, that a someone can be on site who has a relatively low salary or, or low wage because they just need to be present with a camera and then someone with the expertise to inspect homes or buildings can watch from their office through virtual reality or augmented reality and locate you know do the majority of the inspection that way that might be a place where those businesses reduce costs but still achieve the same results so enterprise kind of business to business operations and business to enterprise operations, I think that's going to be a major place where this stuff gets adopted early because for them, it's not, a, it's not about having a better experience. It's about saving money. And when you're saving money, you're willing to spend money. So I think we'll see a lot of, we'll see a lot of operations there. And then some of that will eventually filter out over time to the consumer. Uh, so Bomic, those are, those are my thoughts there. Did you want to follow up with anything? I think regarding the enterprise and audit thing, uh, I don't know like uh, whether we it is in near future because uh, you know like these systems are quite robust and they are you know like uh, these guys are very much you know wherever accountability comes into the picture, uh, the it takes a lot of time for technology to take over and and regarding the uh, like investor thing, so that is actually a problem in India also. So basically, we also have a lot of um, NRIs like non-residential Indians which live abroad and earn in other currencies and they 
to do that the uh, the prices of real estate goes up but those guys are not actually buying those properties um, you know to live there or uh, something they are just buying it as mere investment so for them where the property is located and how it looks from inside it it might not matter much but yeah their experience of buying it like uh, the confidence in buying it might go up but still like uh, that is a vitamin according to me not a painkiller yeah for sure it's definitely not an a necessity it's just an example of one place where the presence of the headset and the virtual reality would provide a benefit where currently it doesn't i certainly don't think that's an example that's going to cause the headset to sell out or something it's just one place where it might make sense that won't be the the root use case now i wonder uh i wonder if anybody here has tried compiling a flutter app for the Vision Pro or tried running one or anything like that. And I'm, I haven't heard the Flutter team mention the Vision Pro at all, but I, I would hope that sometime in the near term, we would be able to at least run Flutter apps through the Vision OS emulator and get hot reload and hot restart for those apps. Again, I don't know if anyone's even looked into that on the Flutter team side, but what's everyone's thoughts here about running Flutter apps on the Vision Pro and developing Flutter, like adding Vision Pro as a target within Flutter applications. You have my vote. Can you, Marco, can you think of anything that would make it different than any other target? I don't know enough about let's say the Xcode project structure for a Vision Pro or uh, a Vision OS or the emulator. But I would think, you know, it's we have an iOS or an iPhone emulator. Maybe the, the Vision Pro emulator is kind of the same thing. And so maybe it, it would be a pretty similar integration. I just have no idea. Yeah, I have Xcode installed here on my box as, as everyone else. I just did not install the Vision Pro. Uh, because I know I'm not going to be developing for it, but maybe it's uh, a test that I'll do and see what it looks like. Yeah, it'd be interesting to hear back. I do know some people have gotten Flutter apps to run in the Vision Pro simulator. I just don't know how you know what they had to do to make that work, and I don't know if if Flutter supporting the Vision Pro is just kind of the Flutter team adding additional configuration to the existing Xcode project, which they already generate inside a Flutter app, or whether there's something fundamentally different. I guess maybe we'll find out. Yeah, great question. Itunch, would you like to jump into the conversation? Yes, of course. Hello, everyone. Uh, regarding your question, uh, I don't know the answer, but maybe uh, this can help us. The Watch OS, as far as I know, there are lots of Flutter developers who are rendering uh, Flutter apps in the uh, Watch OS. So how is it any different than this new uh, Vision Pro OS? Uh, I believe it should be doable. Uh, maybe we should investigate how they did it with the Watch OS. And it should be something similar as to set the environment. So this was what I was going to talk. And uh, also in terms of maybe social-wise, 
this product, this AppleVision Pro. Uh, I have some concerns about the social awkwardness. Uh, a lot of people are working uh, in cafes and you know remote places, maybe not always in their homes uh, when they are producing uh, some work. And personally, I wouldn't feel very comfortable wearing these goggles on my head in Starbucks or something like that. Uh, I would like to know what everyone thinks about this as well. I think the social awkwardness is definitely a real problem. And I, I again, this I think this is the first headset and not the final headset. So I expect that over time, essentially the the logical conclusion of this headset is actually a pair of glasses that you would wear. I mean, I think that's, now it might take a hundred years to get the technology that tiny to pull off a pair of glasses or sunglasses with, with meaningful AR capabilities. But I think that's where it will be headed over time. It'll get smaller and smaller and smaller and less and less obtrusive. This first one for sure would be really weird to wear. Like they show it on an airplane. I don't even, I mean, I don't even know if I'd feel comfortable wearing it on an airplane where all I'm doing is sitting there laying back, waiting for the, the plane to arrive. I definitely uh, wouldn't wear it at a Starbucks or something like that. That does feel pretty strange, but we'll, we'll see how it shakes out. Yeah, we've uh, been through um, a lot of uh, the topics that uh, a lot of a lot of the concerns that you know came around the first time uh, when these things were uh, talked about with like the Hololens and other like VR headsets. So, what makes uh, and this is a question to like anyone here, uh, what makes the Apple Vision Pro different from previous attempts? Like, what's new this time around? Uh, I have a short answer to this. So I think like Apple, uh, like really, like whenever a technology matures, they they do it, you know, like uh, really good. So I mean, like uh, Apple is a trendsetter in the industry also. So, you know, like whatever Apple does, people, you know, do have trust into it. So I think that uh, that brand that is attached with Apple might also, you know, affect the people, you know, like like anything that apple does like uh, it wasn't cool yesterday but today it is cool so that might be a uh, we might see the adoption because of it and and also more importantly i think what will happen is what apple will do they will definitely bring an ecosystem with the vision pro and that is what will make this succeed or at least fare better than the competition so you know when when hololens came in it was a raw stock device. There was no ecosystem around this. You had to build everything yourself. Whereas at least in the demo, what Apple had shown, they're already talking about, let's say if you are a developer, you have a huge screen that you can see You know, uh, in, in, in VR. You have a, a keyboard in the air that you can type in. Uh, you can watch movies. You can you know, uh, uh, do FaceTime calls and so on. So they will bring an ecosystem and this actually will be a good start. Uh, and, and at least something that users will be interested in picking up and moving it forward. 
from a technology point of view and a UX point of view, I believe that Vision Pro is the first headset among the major brands that brings eye tracking, which is supposedly very, very good eye tracking, and also brings hand-based, gesture-based interaction instead of holding controllers. So for example, all the Oculus devices have controllers. The I have like the Quest Go or something is like the first really low-end one. That thing has one controller with like two, two or three buttons. But I think the bigger headsets since then, you have like two controllers. Both of your hands are holding on to these controllers with a bunch of buttons. And I don't believe there's any eye tracking. Uh, and I don't remember if I don't remember if the other, like the Facebook headsets are outside in tracking or inside out, but when you get to the spatial part, there's two different ways to track yourself in the world. One way is by having cameras or sensors around you that watch you in the space, or you can have cameras and sensors in the headset that project out from you and they, they look at the space around you. So the Vision Pro has eye tracking it has there are no controllers it's all hand gestures and it's inside out tracking you don't have to set up any kind of equipment around you i think those are all differentiators in their own way also as was just mentioned with the, the kind of having big screens in the space I think historically we've either seen entirely augmented reality options or entirely virtual reality options. So again, Facebook is heavy on the gaming, the total virtual reality. You're just in there for consumer entertainment. And then there are full augmented reality where you, you're trying to, to recognize things in the space around you and you're annotating them with various visuals, but there's no traditional computing in that model. Vision Pro has brought those two things together. It says if you want full virtual reality, fine. If you want full augmented, fine. But you can also take your desktop screens that are currently these big, heavy, expensive monitors, and you can essentially have virtual monitors in your headset. And you can, instead of just one or two or three, you could have 15 screens around you. And you can have screens that are mounted to walls in your actual room or that are mounted in front of you and behind you. And so there might be a whole new computing paradigm there where we do move some of this desktop stuff into the headset. For example, I would really, I would be interested to see if we could build an IDE that runs in the Vision Pro. I mean, the easiest answer would be for the Vision Pro to support mirroring from the desktop so we could run Android Studio or something in the Vision Pro. I don't think that's, possible right now. So you can mirror Vision Pro onto your desktop, but you can't mirror your desk, your Mac desktop apps onto the Vision Pro. So I would be interested to see if we could maybe build, in fact, a Flutter app that runs multiple windows in Vision Pro and actually is a Flutter and Dart IDE. Because we might find that it's a lot, you know, once we have control over all these windows and we can have five different windows easily available, like we're not constantly clicking on different windows to, to bring it to the foreground. We're not constantly you know, shifting left and right through our virtual desktops. They're all just right there. You've got your main code window. You've got uh, your terminal window. You've got your ability to, you got your indexing of the code where you find stuff. You've got your AI co-pilot assistant, all different windows plastered in front of you, easily visually accessible at all times. 
I'd be interested to see if that makes us faster as developers. Yeah, thanks everyone for uh, providing that additional uh, context and info. One fallacy perhaps is that a lot of the use cases being described, for example, uh, having a Matt, you described uh, a new computing paradigm of having a lot of different windows. And I thought of that as well, where uh, let's say you're on an airplane, right? That was one of the examples that was given. Uh, you're on an airplane, you don't have a lot of room. <laughs> so if you wanted to be productive and do work, um, it's a bit tough because you're very cramped. And with the airline uh, getting cheaper or more expensive and trying to save money, they're packing us in like sardines. So there's not really much room. So that would be a use case where, you know, having uh, the headset and having multiple windows uh, would help. Um, but the fallacy here is that we can already do it. We can already do it with uh, the VR headsets that currently exist. Uh, there's some very popular programs in those VR headsets that lets you run uh, your Windows or your you know Mac and mirror it to uh, the VR headset. Uh, so I guess what I'm trying to say is that some of these use cases uh, we can already do, but we haven't seen people doing them. Um, I'm, so I'm not sure that's that's the case for two reasons. First, even if you can mirror, I mean, I guess it depends with the, how the mirroring works, but if you're truly just mirroring your desktop screen onto the device, that doesn't give you the window control. You, you don't You don't get to spread all your windows out and create this new way of seeing and interacting with all the different windows. You just see your same confined desktop in front of you in virtual reality. So that doesn't really give you the benefit I was talking about there. But the other thing is, like right here at my desk where I am right now, it would be nice if my desk was actually a desk where I could, you know, use the space in some way. Instead, I've got a laptop sitting on my desk and I've got two big monitors on my desk and a lot of my desk space is taken up by that. I, you know, in a world where a headset had a lot of battery and it was lightweight and it wasn't kind of a pain to wear, I would much rather sit down to my desk, wear an augmented reality headset so that while I'm working, I can also use my desk space. I could model something in 3D on my desk uh, or I can inspect, uh, like if we want to go back to things like fixing engines or working on your house right here on my desk, I could look at some environments and figure out what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it. There's lots of things I might do with this space if it were readily available. Instead, all my big, heavy computer stuff is here, and that could be gone in a world with a really great augmented reality headset. Ooh, I, I like it. I think you identified something here that is new and novel, where uh, I would call it persistent. Uh, so that's what Apple with their VR uh, or AR tech that's currently built into their uh, iPhone. Uh, so, you know, when you want to purchase a new uh, Mac Mac Pro, uh, you can pop it up in AR and then preview how it would look on your desk. So that's one thing that they've done that no one else really has done very well. Uh, Snapchat also has it, you know, pretty well. Uh, so I guess that's not true. So Snapchat and Apple uh, do the AR persistence very well. Uh, and that persistence part, 
uh, connecting it to your example of having a desk. So you could just put set something down, and then that actually does unlock a new paradigm, a new way of thinking. Uh, because you're now you're leveraging instead of a two D space, you're leveraging a three D space, and you're also leveraging like your memory, um, like location memory. Uh, so you can you know set something a screen down uh, in like the top left corner, and then you can have a model in the bottom right corner, and that positioning uh, might help you be more productive or something. Um, so that is. That's a really good example. Uh, what I struggle with is, uh, so uh, sitting in a chair, you know, for eight, 12 hours a day is really hard. Uh, so what would be very nice um, is being able to be productive while you're lying down, uh, you know, to give your back um, a bit of a rest. And this is actually really necessary for a lot of people with back pain problems, like people with back pain problems literally cannot uh, sit for more than four hours. Um, and if you're you know, doing software development, uh, that makes being able to do your job really, really tough. So being able to strap on a headset and then uh, lie down and, you know, work, uh, that'd be pretty powerful. But we can already do that right now. Uh, so I'm what I'm struggling with is trying to understand what it would take for me to actually strap on a headset. Uh, it just seems, for me at least, uh, the benefits um, outweigh just the simple cost of strapping on a headset for now. Um, how does everyone else feel? Like, what benefit would you need for this headset to replace your uh in a current computing setup or your workflow i'm i'm ready to do it right now if it were actually I mean, again this this headset will be limited it's going to be heavy it's going to have like a two and a half hour battery life there are going to be reasons why this one can't replace com the the desktop setup but if it could i'd do it right now because I, i'd again i'd love to clear this desk off and uh and just use virtual desktops here and I will, I'll, I'll let anyone else jump in just a second with that, but I wanted to bring up one more example. In the last kind of hype cycle circa, this was probably 2011, I remember, and this wasn't necessarily AR, but I remember seeing this, uh, this prototype when I was doing my master's in digital art and science, where I, maybe Microsoft prototyped this, I can't remember, but there was a table where the top of the table was a screen and it was somewhat touch capacitive. It was like a massive, touch surface uh, screen on the top of a table. Uh, and these, and you would have these little shapes or objects that from a, a visual recognition perspective, they were called fiducials, which are, are things that are recognized visually by a computer and they represent something in the, in the application or the system. And this table, you would put these shapes on it and they would represent different uh, either sounds or filters or capabilities in uh, essentially real-time audio synthesis. So people were producing music on this table by placing these shapes down and the way that you turn them and their proximity to each other would impact the sound. You could imagine louder, quieter. You could imagine uh, one of those would be a filter that would apply more or less to another sound. You could imagine shapes for different instruments. So they were composing music on this open table 
because the table could recognize the position and the type of those objects. Obviously, in a world of decent spatial computing, that's true as well. The, this headset could paint your table with whatever it wants. It could paint that screen onto your existing desk and any objects that you have around you or even virtual objects, you can position and you could produce music on your table without any other computer system. And you're not stuck in the digital audio workstation, which is a horribly complicated and difficult to use. It is, it's the IDE of music production, essentially. Instead, you could have a much more human experience, ironically, by putting on the headset and doing it virtually. But with that, if, if uh, Marco, Noid, or Bombic, if you want to jump into what Ray was saying, feel free. I think like uh, it might eliminate the back pain, but it might uh, like introduce the neck pain. <laughs> you know, like if you... <laughs> it moved the pain from one place to another. I, I mean, I'm sure if you had back pain, you would happily trade it for neck pain. Uh, just to get rid of the back pain for a few days. Um, and then uh, some people do have neck pain because their monitor is either, you know, too high or too low or uh, their head is just like too heavy um, and they have bad, you know, neck uh, discs. So <laughs> they'd probably want to trade their neck pain for their back pain. But uh, that's so funny. Uh, there's one more thing I would like to add. Like, uh, I think the... Uh... Like if this thing is possible and the dev community, you know, like comes into it and builds app around it, like uh, on which like we can technically wear a glass and we can, you know, like we can have a keyboard, virtual keyboard in like through AR and we can type uh, through there. Uh, so in that scenario, we might also have this advent of virtual setups, right? Uh, so now what people do, like they have a physical setup of their home office and then they post it. So how you can configure your uh, virtual setup like you know like that might be a new creative thing to do like it might happen see if i have to give my opinion on this uh honestly i would i would be a bit skeptical about this spatial desktop computing thing altogether because if you think about this you know just now uh, as you were saying we can have a virtual keyboard painted on on your desk i i agree you can do that but then you know the problem that we have there are there's a lot of research being done there are a lot of good keyboards which are out there in the market at least in the laptop space you must have been hearing that apple has probably the best keyboards any new top top end windows laptop that comes in the market the very first thing they complain about that laptop is okay the screen is great the ports are great computing power is great but hey the keyboard is not as good as the macbook the the trackpad is not as good as the macbook so imagine you know banging your fingers on a table on a virtual keyboard the virtual keys it is going to be very hurtful for your for your fingers Plus, right now, the way we are used to, especially for the desktop computing, and especially if you're talking about the developers like us, we are, you know, working 90% of our time on the keyboard and on the mouse, right? So it is very easy for us to, to move our fingers or maybe our wrists, maybe one or two inches here or there, and we get the work done. Now, if you're talking about spatial computing, now we have to move our arms all around, you know, all around us, everywhere. So I agree, maybe the back pain will be uh, alleviated, but then, then we'll have an issue with the neck pain, plus the pain in the arms as well. You'll be moving your arms everywhere. 
and and i do not think it is going to be that that practical but it it needs to be seen we will we will see when it comes out uh, most importantly i think as everyone is saying it needs to be a paradigm shift we cannot take the current way of desktop computing and just stick it up into vision pro or into you know the ar vr world it it cannot work like that we have to change the whole paradigm altogether and maybe that new paradigm might be better perhaps you know what elon musk is doing implanting chips in, in into your brain right or into your body perhaps that can send signals uh, what you are thinking what you want to type the line of code that you want to type it can automatically be transmitted and then visually you see it in the virtual space that that would make sense to me if that happens but i would not be comfortable typing it in the air or or moving around windows moving my arms like crazy here or there that's that's my uh, thought about it i i agree with you on that i guess i'll clarify my earlier description i i'm still envisioning a world where i'm using a keyboard and a mouse i'm just getting rid of physical screens and perhaps getting rid of some of these computer devices that are on my desk i just want to be able to use more of my desk to do things that are actually cumbersome with a mouse and keyboard I, us when we write code a mouse and a keyboard is is a pretty good tool but there are plenty of things i mean just think about 3d modeling that's a really cumbersome thing to do with a mouse and keyboard and we've kind of figured out how to do it there are all these shortcut keys and different ways to click and drag so you can kind of move around the scene but clearly a keyboard and a mouse are just not the natural way that one would model things in 3D or inspect things in 3D and there are plenty of other examples probably in uh, among computing as well and those can move beyond the mouse and keyboard though I do still want to have a mouse and keyboard for all the things where it makes sense like word processing like writing code things like that and I guess it's true that at the moment I haven't heard of keyboards being able to connect to the Vision Pro but that has they have to add that there's just, there's no way that you can have uh, a vision pro that's used broadly without having standard keyboard and mouse input I, I think if they don't understand that already i think they'll learn that pretty quickly yes yes uh, but, but i totally I, agree on that yeah but but, but one think, other thing that we also need to be uh, you know mindful about see today when we are working I, I do agree when we are talking about let's say music production or 3d modeling it is more intuitive to use our hands and you know visually move things around i totally agree but even then there will be another thing that will come up right now you know uh, you have small cabins or you have uh, people sitting next to each other you have these workstations people are sitting and they are working now when we are talking about these virtual environments you need much much bigger space especially i'm talking about in the office environment i'm not talking about let's say if i'm a, a 3d designer working in, at my home will be will be easy for me but if i'm working in office i cannot have you know i'm standing i'm moving around uh, there is someone else standing next to me he is also moving around it, it will be a bit uh, difficult but yes i hear you the future is promising uh, but i disagree with you why do you need a bigger space i mean technically now your display is your monitor and uh, you know you you change display there to move uh, from one place to another so if uh, whatever is your display that is now the 3d space around you and there uh, uh, the the display might move why do you need to move in that space uh, 
uh, no display display will uh, display you do not need to move the display so you can be sitting over there but as i said when you are working with a keyboard mouse you are working in a confined space but when you are working with your hands in the air right uh, virtually then you need a much bigger space laterally it is not just in front of you that the screen uh, that 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 area needs to increase yeah we'll we'll learn from use cases what's needed there but i do when you mentioned the office you know one thing comes to mind which is you know many of us we work on mobile apps or even desktop apps and i'm sure we're all familiar with for example design reviews where maybe a product person a designer and some developers are all in the room kind of reviewing the latest designs and what are we going to build and how is it supposed to work imagine that you were all standing around a conference table and all of the different screens and their connections were visible to all of you in shared augmented reality space above that conference table. And you can all kind of go through together looking at all each of those screens and, and the buttons and the inputs and where they connect. I think that would allow me to ask a lot more questions. And I think it, I think it would allow the product designer and the visual designer to better explore options for what might be built. So I see a lot of opportunities there with shared creativity as well. And that, that's just something that would happen in the conference rooms where many of us currently go in there with our laptop, we sit down, half the room is sitting there scrolling through Slack messages or something on the laptop while the designer is talking about the proposal. And these, these are often really ineffective meetings because it's difficult to engage everyone at the same time. I think a shared augmented space might be able to fix that. Uh, yes, Matt, this is exactly what I said. The very first thing I said, uh, you know, the way at the moment it is being used and the use case that you also mentioned, this is the industrial use of it. I was talking more about from a consumer perspective. Sure. I mean, both both are relevant, right? I, me as a consumer, I'm just saying me as a consumer, I would still love to replace a lot of my computers with a headset. I understand that there would be many others who prefer their screens and their laptops and their and all that kind of stuff. Um, but in yeah, in that shared work environment, like well, we've talked, we've mentioned this a few times, which is one of the most likely places to make use of this technology is in enterprise. It is in business to business operations. These are places where you can really gain from the modality change. You can save money. You can engage. We've talked about in terms of design, we can engage in the design process in ways that we couldn't before, which goes to your, your discussion of a paradigm shift. I think all these options are on the table. And I guess at the end of the day, my view of Vision Pro is just that Vision Pro it will begin to explore these. And over time, the industry will learn where it makes sense and where it doesn't. Well, that's a great perspective, Matt. Uh, you raised another uh, interesting concept, a new, a novel concept for me uh, that I call perhaps shared reality. Uh, so you have virtual reality, you have augmented reality, and now there's this concept that you just introduced called shared reality. Uh, so that's pretty fascinating. I, I think shared reality is just called reality, Ray. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but yeah, it's a, a like a shared augmented space, that kind of thing. 
Um, now, by the way, again, because we are we are coming from a Flutter focus, I will mention I've watched some videos of developers creating app experiences for the simulator. Uh, now, they were most of those videos. They were just creating a normal 2D application. I will say that if you're defining, if you're building a 2D application for the Vision Pro, it is just your typical Swift UI, uh, and that's. So there's really nothing different. If, you, if you're a Swift UI developer, it's going to be exactly the same for you when you're building that 2D experience that appears in the simulator, which is why I, I brought up Flutter earlier in terms of building those 2D apps. Because Swift UI is just essentially Flutter written in the Swift language. It's largely interchangeable and conceptually. Um, have any of you watched any of the videos where people have written any of those apps for Vision Pro? Have you gotten a feel for what it looks like to create those apps? I guess not. I'll take the silence as a no. Um, well, so then for anyone in here, anyone on stage or anyone in the audience, do, does anyone have any plans for apps to build for the Vision Pro, especially any apps that might use Flutter for the two-dimensional rendering? And if you're in the audience and you'd like to come up and speak, just hit the microphone button. We'll bring you up on stage and you're welcome to chime in. Any other comments from the people on stage? Ray, Marco, Nawid, Bamak? No, I just... I have one. Uh, um, good use case of Vision Pro. I mean, this is something that can be interesting. Just a good idea. Okay, Marco, were you about to jump in as well? Yeah, I wanted to say, you know, about two weeks ago, this is not about Vision Pro. But Ray was bringing up uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a, uh, a comment that I was going to look into uh, using Superbase instead of Firebase. And I've been looking for alternatives, and I just wanted to give a quick update. And uh, like Ray was saying, you know, it's, it's still new, it's still being developed. There were two items that I found uh, that were basically uh, showstoppers for me. One, there's no anonymous login. And the other one, there's no offline sync built in with Superbase. And in any mobile app that requires you to enter data and read it, uh, you need that offline sync. And any mobile app that is going to have a free version with in-app purchases to get the additional items, you need some anonymous login also to be able to let them show the free version and, of course, and plug in at the same time. So I just wanted to give that quick update. Yeah, thanks, Marco. Oh, that's good to know. And I'm when a Superbase first came out, uh, I was you know a huge supporter because Firebase needs competition, and it's still my position that the more successful Superbase gets, uh, the better Firebase gets. And we've already seen that. We've seen 
uh, Firebase do the impossible? So now, uh, I think a few months ago, or maybe half a year ago, they introduced something called aggregate sums. We were told for over half a decade that the way Firebase was architectured, it was impossible for them to keep track of how many items were in a collection. It was impossible. Not that it was hard, not that you know it costs too much, but it was impossible to do. And they've done it. So now we can get the number of items in a collection. Uh, it's something everyone's been asking for. And I think Superbase was the reason why. Uh, they've now added things that were previously impossible. Uh, things like uh, the aggregate feature I talked about, and also things like uh, querying. So previously they said like some queries, uh, querying based on um, some equality uh, comparators uh, weren't possible. You couldn't have some compound queries. Now they've added support for those. So I love that Superbase is forcing Firebase to compete. Uh, me too. I thought that was hilarious. That's uh, right on on that point. And, uh, and that's one of the reasons I'm also looking. I, know I always loved SQL because you got the unions. You can pull SQL queries in the data any way that you want it. No SQL with Firebase, of course. You know, there's limitations. Wow, all of a sudden they can do it. How about that? Right, right. They were like, <laughs> it was a complete paradigm shift. And uh, we'll go to Kategay, uh, Akate after this. Uh, so uh, there was a complete paradigm shift where the Firebase, the team, I think they had the philosophy that we're doing this completely different. This is no sequel. You got to you know, forget all these relational concepts. You want to do relational, you want, you need it because of a business need. Well, too bad. You need to come to the new paradigm, right? Uh, we're going to force you. Um, I think they've uh, softened a bit on that position, which is really nice to see. Yep, sure is. Yeah, thanks, Marco, for uh, raising that again. Um, I love talking about Firebase. It's just so powerful. Uh, and um, uh, yeah, I think from this conversation, I'm going to go and give Superbase a try again. Uh, so thank you for that. Yeah, you know, they're... The offline sync has been uh, open GitHub for about uh, three years with them. They're saying use these third-party tools to do it, but when you do that, um, you have to also pay those third-party tools. And just for that offline sync, it's twice the price per month that it costs you to have Superbase. Superbase is $25 a month. You know, you have a free version, but let's say you're on the paid version. A dollars a month, and then you're paying almost fifty dollars, forty nine dollars, to have the offline sync with a third party. And then you got to go through all that setup and rely on them and any conflicts you might have in the team. So that kind of you know concerns me, but we'll see what they'll do. All right, uh, Kate, uh, you're, you have the floor. Hello, Ray, and hello, everyone. And it's Chatai <laughs> again, but it's okay, totally fine. People are getting used to it. And I think Matt is saying correctly. Anyway, uh, hello, Marco. Uh, I'm listening to you every week, and you're joining almost every week. Just one uh, feedback. I think there is something wrong with microphone because it's like a wave effect. Your sound is going up and down. It is getting hard to follow. 
uh, is there something wrong with microphone? I'm not sure, but maybe you can check it. But yeah, uh, when I uh, wanted to talk, uh, like I raised my hand before Marco started talking, but I wanted to talk about Firebase as well. So it was a coincidence, although the topic is today different. Because uh, I want to talk about Firebase because I'm so blocked now and I have been complaining about this for, I think, more than a week. Uh, I've been working on my side project for last three months and I'm at the stage of releasing it. I had my closed testing approved in Android side from Google. So my Android test users can test my app and give me feedback. But I'm so bad blocked from iOS side because I cannot take build. There is a serious issue in the Firestore uh, Flutter support. And I'm trying to reach people, trying to get help. It is getting ridiculously difficult because, first of all, I'm very disappointed with the support. Uh, I know that I love the product. I love Firebase. This is why I want to still use it. But I'm like almost done because they are not able to uh, make it work with pods. Because I think the Firebase iOS, especially Firestore iOS support is now based on Swift package manager. And they are trying to do hacks or some, I don't know, workarounds. I'm not really fully uh, like informed about what is going on. But uh, I think now like the many people are having difficulty to get uh, iOS release output uh, to submit to the stores. I can test my iOS app in development for some reason, but I cannot get the release version. And there is an open issue in the Invertase. They are trying to fix it. I'm trying to reach people. I don't get support. People tell me that don't use the catched version of uh, Firestore. I'm not using the catch version for Firestore, but I still cannot get the build. It says that Firestore could not be imported, could not be found. So uh, I'm not able to release my iOS app for testing to get feedback from my friends. And iOS is super important. Um, most of my friends around me, everyone is using on, uh, iOS. So uh, the, my, my real testers are iOS testers. And I could find only one or two Android testers who could give me feedback. So I'm a bit blocked and I'm very close to give up, very close to give up. I'm giving a couple more days, but what I'm mostly disappointed is that like there is really not good support around and uh, I think many people are suffering from this. I don't know, like uh, I'm trying to follow the GitHub issues. There are things going on, but I still cannot get my output. I just want to get my output. Uh, yeah. Wow, this has been an issue for like over half a decade, I think for almost like 10 years already, almost a decade already. Uh, and Firebase just f fails. Uh, it causes your Android builds to fail. It causes your iOS builds to fail. And what's really frustrating, right, is that you open the project and everything builds fine. You don't have any code changes, but the mo tomorrow, the build fails. <laughs> and what was insane... And I still don't fully understand how Google did it, but they broke, they broke projects using Firebase that were in production that people didn't update at all with one of their Firebase updates. And I, I don't understand specifically how it happened, uh, but they pushed an update 
And even if you didn't update the package, it still broke your app. It still broke your builds. And that was just insane to me. Um, and I don't know how they're able to cause so many issues, even though uh, I have looked into the Firebase code. Uh, it's very, very complex. The, them trying to do the simplest thing has like maybe eight different files and eight different like classes um, and all these different abstractions. Like everything has like multiple layers of abstractions. Uh, it's an achievement. <laughs> and I'm sorry to hear about your experience, Chate. Uh, that's just like very unfortunate. Um, have you tried stripping everything out, stripping out Firebase and then seeing if there's any uh, adding them in one by one and seeing if there's any issues no, there? No, uh, the issue is the Firestore uh, because it clearly says that the Firestore could not be important to the project. And uh, there is an open issue about it in GitHub, in the Inverte's GitHub. So uh, Google is outsourcing Firebase uh, Flutter support to Inverte's, a third-party consultant company. And uh, there is this story that uh, they created this setup for both React Native Firebase, Flutter Fire, they share the same native code base and they are trying to use this native code base and creating some bridges to fi Flutter Fire. So it's not Dart, definitely not Dart. And uh, now that it's like getting very difficult to keep up because like uh, the most difficult part is I'm using multiple Firebase products and uh, they are really tied to each other with versions. So for example, the latest up-to-date like the latest stable uh, versions of each product, like Firebase Out, Firebase Storage, and like Cloud or everything, they need to be synced. They need to work with some certain uh, combination, literally some, some certain combination. And for example, now the stable Firebase Firestore, I cannot get it built. And, uh, and then I'm trying to revert it back to the previous versions, but uh, I cannot find the correct combinations that could get it working. Uh, hey, uh, yeah, so, mm -hmm. uh, let me interrupt you really quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, have you reset the iOS project? Uh, setting, resetting how? Uh, deleting the iOS build oh. and having Flutter regenerated. Of course, I'm having, okay, Flutter regenerated. Like what I'm doing is the same, like I have my scripts that I, it worked many times that whenever I had issues, so it basically clears the pods, uh, clears the right data, data, clears uh, everything, catch uh, Cocoa pads, import install, pod update. Like I have this script that does every necessary thing to clear everything and set up. But what do you mean by uh, clearing uh, iOS setup? You mean creating a new iOS project from scratch? Uh, yes, that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, have you tried making a new iOS project? But wouldn't wouldn't it make the same thing if I clear the pods, symlinks, uh, the data, and pods spec file? Because it's I I wouldn't I don't sure how it would help. Uh, no, because Xcode generates a ton of different uh, a, t a ton of files that uh, some of them aren't even version controlled. Uh, mm -hmm. So sometimes those files. Uh, and you don't know what they are because they're like, uh, they have like some weird extensions and stuff. Uh, but those generated files from the Xcode 
for your project. Uh, you just got to get rid of the entire uh, project and then set it up from scratch again. Yeah, I might try that. I'm giving a couple more days to Invertis people to fix this and Firebase people to fix this. I'm following up the issue closely. They are getting closer to fix it according to the uh, GitHub issues. But uh, I hope that this pod things will be history and then Flutter will be using Civic Package Manager. This is getting really out of hand and giving a lot of stress. And I'm, I'm really yeah, considering I'm... my choice with Flutter Firebase. Although yeah, I I'm sorry. To a lot. I'm sorry to hear that. And uh, I guess the fo- one last solution, uh, one last suggestion I have would be if you if it really you know you're blocked and it really doesn't work, um, what I've done before was I've used Fire Dart. Uh, so instead of using uh, the uh, you know the native packages for Firestore, I used Fire Dart, which is uh, the platform agnostic uh, version. Uh, it directly connects to uh, Google APIs. By the way, uh, since Invertibase is handling that, if you contacted uh, Majid, he might be able to find out a little bit more since he works there. Didn't they announce like a year ago or something that Firebase support was finally moving to the actual Firebase team for Flutter instead of the Flutter team? and Invertase needing to do that work? I'm not sure. I I personally do not know. I'm not sure either. I didn't hear that about that, or I might have forgot. Well, I mean, maybe they backtracked on that or something, but all of this support should have always lived with the Firebase team. It should be pretty obvious that if the Firebase team doesn't pay the penalty for doing things that negatively impact Flutter integration, then they're going to take shortcuts and they're going to do things that impacts Flutter integration. So that that would be my recommendation to that organization is move that support over to Firebase and tell Firebase you need to integrate with Flutter. Everything you do needs to work with Flutter, just like Android, just like iOS, and then maybe it wouldn't be so difficult. Um, but it's... I mean, if Invertase is the one who's maintaining it, that's like two degrees of separation from where it needs to be. Because first, it was removed from the Firebase team and given to the Flutter team. That's a bad idea. That's going to create problems. And then not even the Flutter team within the Google organization, apparently, is maintaining it. They've given it to another company and they can essentially say, hey, all these problems are now your problems. And Invertase isn't, I mean, they have through their contract, I'm sure they have access to people at Google, but they're not even in the building. Like they're, you think the people in the Firebase team care at all what the people at Invertase are telling them they need to do? So it's just, that that kind of organizational setup is just begging for terrible problems that never get resolved. And not even the same time zone. And they're in the very difficult time zone of Europe, you know, and West Coast. So it, there's like no overlap. I'm yeah, also a bit disappointed uh, with the communication because certainly things are wrong and 
I need to try to reach to people my like uh, that because I personally know that's something bad because I might be just a random developer who is having trouble to understand what is going on and there is no even like a public announcement communication channel like there is just this github issue that you need to follow i'm trying to see the problems apparently some workarounds are solving it but i cannot get even that workarounds working so that is giving me a lot of uh, annoying so i'm getting annoyed and i'm given a couple more days but this cannot go like this i mean this is just my side project as if i was a big company i would not be able to explain this to my product lead or business people. Yeah, I think if possible, I mean, I, I think these days, if I were to start a new project that requires a database, uh, I would really try to find a path other than Firebase. As Ray has mentioned, there have been problems here for years. And it seems that no matter how much people complain, it ju they just keep happening. Um, so if, you know, my my view towards that side of Firebase, it's also my view towards the Flutter team itself. If they're going to consistently disrespect you as a developer and a user and a customer, just you, you just leave them behind. You know, go go do something else, use something else, um, or find a way to operate without needing their help or their permission or anything like that. So it, I feel your pain. I think. All of us have been there with one technology or another at a given time. And I think you just got to leave them behind because they, clearly they just don't care. And that's it's really frustrating to try to use something, to try to become a customer, and they just can't be bothered to even make it possible. Can I just say something? Um, is the microphone okay right now? How does this sound? It's better. Okay. The other, other than Superbase, which I've been looking for, I've also been looking into AppRight, AppRight.io. They do have anonymous uh, logins. And their offline sync is being built in. They're working on it. That could be another option maybe that can be looked at. But um, I agree. I mean, I've been trying to get away from Firebase myself too. I have many apps that use it. and They're working fine right now including web apps with Vue and, and with Flutter. But um, yeah, that is a, an issue. Other than creating your own, like uh, Matt said, you know, use a local database uh, in your app and then some kind of a server database that you can make API calls to for your uh, cloud syncing, which I'm trying not to do. I'm trying to do less work on that. Just two bits there. Oh yeah, AppRoid is definitely uh, something uh, worth mentioning. Uh, Eldad Fuchs, uh, the CEO and founder, uh, yeah, they're pretty incredible. Um, and their philosophy uh, and their actions are very commendable. So I've been following them from like when they first launched uh, in the very early days. And uh, what they've done that I really respect is they built a business that helps app developers uh, and not many businesses uh, and not many uh, in terms of like investment capital, uh, not many businesses and founders are able to do that. Uh, so I'm really happy that they're, you know, succeeding uh, and they've helped app developers so, so much uh, with 
Like their incredible focus on our needs. So they're very receptive. And uh, they also contribute to open source in a very significant way. I think last year they uh, contributed $50,000 to open source projects. Um, and they're also doing the same this year and maybe even more uh, this year too. Hey, uh, so uh, one of the reasons I moved away from Firebase uh, is this uh, dependency problem. So the Firebase actually uh, does, um, uh, they, 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 what they did for Flutter is just uh, gathering all the native uh, implementations of um, Android, Swift, um, Mac, and whatever windows or whatever so they uh, they are just creating a wrapper and uh, using that so the problem um, um, with this approach is uh, too many um, uh, what uh, libraries and uh, also um, each of the firebase functionality is wrapped in separate modules and they have as um, Kate said um, each one has its own version and uh, I don't know what order they are updated. And sometimes when um, we randomly update, for example, Firestore uh, in our pub spec and uh, it, it may break. So we don't know the exact combination of the um, versions of each of these components like Oath, uh, Firestore, real-time database, uh, storage or whatever. So. Um, the solution would be having a, a native dot um, uh, native SDK, just um, having uh, a dot version of uh, everything put together in a uh, nice way rather than um, hacking together all these uh, native SDKs and uh, give an experience to a uh, bad experience to the users. So, and that's the uh, one of the reasons I, that is one of the reasons I have move to fire uh, super base and um, what I'm, I'm missing is the offline caching and also the real-time database the real-time in super base is a bit more a bit expensive and uh, yeah those two 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 things are actually the uh, pain points otherwise super base is super yeah 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 I want to add one thing. Uh, what is more ridiculous is this uh, in the pod file when you are using Firestore, you need to add a tag version so that you get the faster build because of catching mechanism or something. So the funny thing is that, or I'm not sure funny, is that uh, you go to Firebase documentation, Flutter in the website, and it says that this is the uh, line that you need to add to your pod file. And there is this specific tech version and you never know what is the correct tech version. There is no place that tells you for the latest Firebase Firestore for Flutter, you can use this tech version in the Invertise. And the only way to find the correct tech number is try to have a build and see that it builds, uh, it fails. And if it fails, it tells you the correct number. There is no other way, no public place, no GitHub. When I try to update the versions, 
I'm trying to guess the correct port number by checking the GitHub page, the master uh, branch, and I see that the latest, uh, this tech number doesn't work with the latest stable version. So yeah, only way of figuring out is failing your app and then it will tell you which number to use. And I, I'm just, just wondering and curious why they are having eight or 10 SDKs for each of these service for the client. Actually, they're not doing a rocket science, in, uh, at least in my opinion, like just uh, a few probably REST API calls and uh, doing the things even for um, upload or authentication or um, Firestore or real-time database, probably real-time da database, they might be doing some kind of WebSocket or something. Even if that is the case, why can't they have a unified SDK properly uh, organized rather than having eight different moving pieces and uh, having separate uh, version progressions and all? I don't know. I think the main challenge is uh, the nature of Firebase because the number of products that Firebase offers, number of solutions, it's huge. I can't even count the numbers now. It's maybe 20, maybe more. So uh, getting everything together uh, for a cross-platform is a huge challenge and getting everything right. And this challenge is growing every day. Imagine like, uh, for example, uh, they can't even easily get these cloud uh, functions in Dart. So you need to write your uh, cloud functions in JavaScript. Uh, but Dart can compile to JavaScript. I don't know what is stopping there, but probably there are some other things. But yeah, uh, but the good thing is that there was a Firebase Flutter Festival in Prague this last year, and there were people from Firebase and Flutter there. So that shows then like a signal that the teams together are uh, dedicated to provide some solutions and Invertase was organizing this. I was also a speaker there and I was happy to see people uh, from both teams. I was able to talk with them, but I was able to also see that the problem that the, or the engineering is due to the nature of this, uh, how big Firebase offering is. Uh, no, no, I was just uh, t uh, telling about the client side. So client side, almost the same functionality Superbase is able to provide with a single package, which is uh, less uh, number of files and code. So I don't know why this is so much bloated and uh, what they are doing is special in the client side other than um, the other SDKs are doing. I don't know. I don't understand. I think... Please continue, Ray. Oh, sorry. Uh, you go ahead, Achate. Okay, I just want to say finally that I think if they really want us to use Firebase, which I really love, I like checking my Firestore documents and collections in the, uh, you know, uh, this dashboard and in the console. I like the UI, UX and everything what I'm doing with Flutter and Firebase. It's really, I love it. But what I don't like is this uh, non-transparency or like, I love the product, but... Uh, I don't have the visibility or transparency how these things behind the curtain works and how I can be convinced that this is a viable solution that at some point Google will be fed up and then they will just don't care about Flutter and only focus on Android and iOS uh, packages because 
it is getting to a direction that like for for many days they couldn't get this solution and at some point i'm afraid in the future there might be some other things that will okay people are fed up it's out of money out of developer hour cost so let's just kill this and then focus only on android ios it's about trust yeah i think uh matt brought a really good point that all these problems you're experiencing um google has no incentive to really uh, care about uh, the developer issues that you run into or what that means for your business because uh, they don't bear the costs. So who's bearing the cost of if Firebase, uh, the latest version, doesn't work for like two weeks or three weeks? Uh, we've had that happen before. Uh, it's definitely not Google. <laughs> Google's not paying that. Uh, you're paying for it. Uh, so Matt brought up the good point about the incentives there. And it perhaps is a question of the incentives because what doesn't make sense to me, uh, and I'm just throwing this out there, uh, one is the bloat. It'll, Tony, you mentioned the bloat. There's over a million lines of native C code uh, in the SDKs. Uh, so the bloat doesn't make sense. And what also doesn't make sense uh, in a more like uh, uh, people uh, and organizational uh, context is why uh, wh why do we have like all this complexity and anyway, why are like things so difficult uh, for the Firebase team? Uh, for example, uh, one example is Dart is actually supported in Google Cloud run uh, so uh, i've actually we i actually have uh some dart functions running in google cloud functions not firebase functions so firebase functions doesn't currently support dart but google uh, cloud run functions do so perhaps is there like an organizational leadership thing that's saying hey uh we can't you know add dart support to uh, cloud functions yet even though we already support it <laughs> so, so that's what i don't understand and also one last thing is um uh, what i see about code from google and also from the firebase because you know you can look at the code in their sdk uh the code is I would call it like very genius level um, and genius because it, it takes a genius to understand, you know, abstract art. Um, there's so many concepts that I just don't understand. But if I did understand these concepts, maybe I would write code in the same way that uh, the Firebase team is writing their code. Uh, it has like some very obscure um I, i'm certain that you can make a list of dozens of rules uh and the code would you know follow all those rules uh but those rules would be very obscure and it, they wouldn't make sense to me as a person um so that's why when i read the code it's like okay i can feel you know there's some organization there's very high level thinking that's going on uh but it just doesn't make any sense to me uh so i'm giving them the level of the, the benefit of doubt that, hey, I'm not at their level. Uh, I don't understand all of their code, but it just seems way too complex. And 
unnecessary at times, even though it is very beautiful um, and sometimes very ugly, because that's how abstract art can look, too. Can I make just a, a generic point about abstractions while we're here? You know, it, I th many of us, I think if we work with packages that have a lot of these abstractions, especially like Java loved to have interfaces on interfaces on interfaces with abstract classes, I, what you find is that the developers who excel in those projects are the ones who actually know where all the references go, right? It's actually the developers who you could point to any any one of the abstractions and say like why does that exist and who uses it and they can give you the answer and they can tell you why it's there but here's the counterintuitive part about that in theory the whole point of an abstraction is to create a tool where you don't have to understand how the inside works and yet in so many of these places with abstractions the only people who can do any work on them are the people who know everything that's happening behind the abstraction, which is to say it's not an abstraction at all. It's just a massive hurdle that makes it difficult to do work. So that's just a little rant from me because I, I run into this on a regular basis. And in fact, I'm, I'm porting a little natural language processing package over to Dart right now and running into that there, it's, it is nearly impossible for me to work through their 15 layers of abstraction Ray, I'm guessing that Firebase has done something similar based on your description. So to all of the you know, software developers in the crowd, if you can truly abstract something, then, then great, do it. I think, for example, widgets in Flutter are a great abstraction. So many developers are able to create almost in complete user interfaces, never realizing what's under the widget abstraction. That's a pretty good abstraction. Uh, and in fact, render objects are a great abstraction as well, because there are a lot of developers who are surprised to find out that render objects don't actually render anything. They don't actually paint a single pixel. And one of the reasons that's surprising is because when you're implementing layout and paint, it sure feels like that's what you're doing. The truth is render objects produce a layer tree and a layer tree goes over to the engine and the engine is what paints pixels. So there are some examples of good abstractions in Flutter. There are also some examples of not so good abstractions in Flutter, but it sounds like Firebase has a really bad history with abstractions, and so do a lot of packages out there in the world. Uh, the best example, and thank you so much, Matt, for your uh, overview of the abstraction um, and your perspective there. Uh, I, I'm going to think on that. Um, I think you're onto something there. Uh, the best example of the insanity and perhaps the genius of what Firebase is doing is I looked into their uh, in-app messaging code. So if you don't know, the Firebase in-app messaging, it lets you display um, an in-app message uh, and also a, you know two or uh, two buttons, right? So you can uh, have an action button and then you ha can have a close button. Uh, but the buttons are really ugly. So there's no styling on the buttons. I wanted to give the button a color. Uh, because, you know, you want to uh, match your primary color uh, with the color of the button that you use in the in-app message. Because uh, otherwise, you just get, I guess, a blank white button, and you can't really see a white button, and it's not a very good call to action, right? So I looked into the code, and there were, you know, over a dozen 
essentially files or classes uh, to render the buttons. Um, and for the life of me, I could not understand. I couldn't find the place where I would add, you know, color, a color configurator. Uh, so for you or me, you know, if we build a button, we just add, you know, a color parameter, right? But I literally could not find the place where I should add it because they were doing something where they were taking JavaScript and then using the JavaScript uh, as like a DSL to describe the button. Um, and I also couldn't find where they, uh, they, you couldn't put the button side by side. So it was a vertical button and that's very useless. That's like really bad. It looks really bad. Uh, so I wanted those two things. And I, like, I couldn't even see where the layout was. Like there, it, I couldn't see the place where there was a row or a column to put the buttons. And I couldn't even see the code to paint the buttons. I just saw some quite a few files related to JavaScript and parsing and taking some, I guess, DSL from JavaScript and then translating it into the button somewhere, someplace. Uh, so that really taught me and helped me understand why something as simple as adding colors to buttons isn't, you know, <laughs> easily, ex it's not, it's not, you know, but built in by default in Firebase. And it really helps me understand why simple features that you would intuitively think, you know, hey, if I wanted to use remote config, if I wanted to use, uh, you know, analytics, um, I should have some of these functionalities. It's not there. <laughs> so I guess that's just my understanding. And the last time I looked, yeah, it was just really, really eye-opening. Hey, guys. So I have to run here in just a few minutes to do a podcast interview for the Flutter Bounty Hunters. Why don't we go around and do a final last remarks that anybody on the stage might have? So we'll go Chatai, then Marco, then Tony, and then Ray, you and I will close out. Yep. Thank you. So is it like a... <laughs> Uh, goodbye talk or what should I do? It, yeah, anything you'd like to say before we end the space for today? I see. Okay, so uh, yeah, first of all, thank you very much for keeping this up every week. It is very difficult work. I also have my podcasts in my native language, which is Turkish. Uh, it, it takes a lot of effort, but I'm very surprised and uh, to see that you are doing this every week, trying to keep this up a lot of effort. Uh, thanks for giving this opportunity to us to talk about Flutter and listen to you because I'm always listening to you when I'm coding in the night for my indie project. Yeah, that's from me. Thank you. Thanks, Chatai. And we're always glad to have you here to talk. We, you know, we appreciate when the audience comes up to speak and, uh, and we, we welcome all the venting about Firebase and Flutter for people who are frustrated. And I, I will remind everyone that, uh, you know, one, even though it would be really great if Firebase and Flutter and similar things would proactively solve problems, even if that's what I think they, they should do professionally, unfortunately, we have learned that these teams tend to respond more to angry online social media stuff. And so if, if we need to be a place for people to come and be angry about problems that, that Flutter or Firebase are creating for them, we will be a space for that because at least maybe then they'll fix the problem and those problems will go away. 
So Chatai, thanks for talking about Firebase today and bringing up your issues. And we do hope that you find a way around them. Uh, Marco, any final thoughts from you? I thought it was a great show, lots of information. And uh, I think what we're seeing is that there is a need for something that is really good to handle these databases, authorizations, offline syncing, and all that kind of stuff other than Firebase, you know? And, uh, hopefully we'll find something good. Maybe we can update each other here if we find something that works well. Absolutely, by all means, bring any updates that you have. Uh, even if we have topics like we did today, which was Vision Pro, we're always happy once that topic is kind of resolved, we're happy to go off into any direction. So please do bring any updates on that front. Tony, any final remarks from your end? No, Matt, thanks. Okay, thanks, Tony, for coming up on stage and talking today. Ray, would you like to, uh, to plug anything on the way out? Uh, no, thank you. Okay, well, for those of you that don't know me, uh, my name is Matt Carroll. I'm a former member of the Flutter team. These days, I provide proprietary development services at superdeclarative.com. I also lead the Flutter Bounty Hunters, where we build open source uh, Flutter and Dart packages professionally. If you would like us to help build open source tools for your organization, go to flutterbountyhunters.com. Thanks, everybody, for being here, and we'll see you. I actually won't be here next week. Uh, so, Ray, maybe you'll host that one, but otherwise, I'll be back with you along with Ray two weeks from now. Have a good one.